Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're with us for our second installment in our series on uh, the second coming. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline. Today, we're talking about prepping for the second coming. Uh, you may have never seen this before, but if you have Netflix, you can watch all four season of, seasons of Doomsday Preppers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's these amazing shows where they follow people who've gone to the elaborate lengths to prepare for all kinds of emergencies. And some people do this doomsday prepping because of global warming or because of North Korea or because of whoever the president happens to be at the time. And they've got all these rationales of like, hey, I got to store all these things up. And so a friend of mine who spends some time in the military asked if I could borrow a gas mask here this morning. And then also they store up a lot of food and asked, do you have one of those meals ready to eat? And he said, yeah, I do. And he handed me one and I didn't even look at it till this morning and it's chili with beans. So I have a gas mask and chili with beans. <laughs> <laughs> How perfect. I'm ready for the apocalypse. Okay. Uh, but we have, I thought that was so perfect for John Schmidt. Anyway, uh, the idea is that today I want to talk with you about getting ready, not for a zombie apocalypse or anything. I want us to get ready for the second coming because the Bible tells us how to do this and it's the best event that will ever happen, but we need to be prepared. Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you so much for the good news that you give us in your word. I thank you that you are coming again. And I pray that you will use this message today to prep us for it. Oh God, I just pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. And Lord, that you will encourage our souls. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to remind us of a couple of things. First of all, when we talk about Jesus' second coming, well, Jesus came the first time. This is point one. And when he came the first time at his first coming, he came as a little baby, grew up in our world, was just like us, identified with us in every way except he never sinned, so he could be the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's why he came, to pay the penalty for our sins. One other scripture, I just didn't, I have so many scriptures on this, I couldn't fit them all in the bulletin, but I think we can put it on the screen here from Hebrews 9, if we can get that one up there. This is starting with verse 27. It says this, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He'll come again, not to deal with sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And so what's great about the second coming is he's coming home. He's coming to take home all those who've trusted in him and given their lives to him. He's paid the penalty for our sins in full. We don't have to worry about paying that penalty. Jesus paid it for us. If you think that's great news today, would you say amen? amen. That's only part of the good news. There's more. Before Jesus went, ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, I'm going to be going soon. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to send to heaven, and I'm, when everything's ready, I'll come back from heaven to come get you. But while I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. He'll be in you, and he's going to give you power. Listen to what Paul said about this. Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is point two in your outline. The Holy Spirit was given to rescue us from the power of sin. Sorry, that's the blank is power. But in Romans 8, Paul said, Now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
before we had the Holy Spirit, we were controlled by our, by our sin, by our appetites. We're, all our desires were focused on feeding ourselves. But when we surrendered our lives to Christ and we surrendered our hearts to him, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, this is such good news because many times people come to me and they go, well, I understand what you're saying about surrendering your heart to Christ and becoming a Christian, but I don't think I have the self-control to do that. I, I couldn't live that Christian life on my own strength. I tell them, you're missing out on the, probably the part that's most misunderstood about the good news, and that's that the Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the power. He actually changes our desires. And as you grow in him, that's what you find is things that used to hold you down no longer do. Old habits fade away. You have victory over sin. You change your mind. He changes the way we think, and he gives us the desire and the power to please him. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. So when Christ came, we he paid the penalty for our sins. The Holy Spirit came to give us power over sin, to free us from the power of sin's control. And then thirdly, Jesus is coming again to take us home where we'll be rescued from the very presence of sin. I mean, we go to heaven. In heaven, there is no more sin. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin. Can I get a free hallelujah out of that? The he came to rescue us from the penalty of sin. The Holy Spirit gives us the power over sin. And now we, also, we can also be rescued from the very presence of sin when we go to heaven. That's what's happening when he comes to take us home. Listen, we read this last week, but this is a few verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them we who are alive and still remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. We unpacked a lot of that last week, and so I won't go over all that material again, but I just want to remind us that this is a real event that's coming soon. Jesus is coming to take us home. And in heaven, we'll be freed from the very presence of sin. I love doing eulogies at funerals. and We celebrate the good things that uh, people uh, added to our lives, the memories we want to keep of them. And it wasn't that long ago I was doing a, performing a funeral service, and somebody came up afterward. They said, well, you just shared the good things about that person's life. You know, I knew them. They had some rough edges. And I went, oh, yeah, we all do. And they said, so you just shared the good things on purpose? I said, oh, yeah, because when we go to heaven, all the sinful, all that sin and pain and all the things that were wrong, that all stays in this world. When we go to heaven, we'll never sin again. Let's remember the good. This is the stuff that stays buried, rotting in the ground. Now think about that. All the filth all the pain, all the sorrow in this world, it's not going to be there in heaven. And Jesus is coming to take us home. That's why we're excited about the second coming. In fact, this is such good news that the penalty is paid for. We're rescued from the power of sin. We're going to be free from the presence of sin. That point four, Jesus gave us a mission of spreading this good news everywhere. I want everyone to know this. That's the Great Commission. Again, right before he ascended to heaven, these were some of his last words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. 
And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When I come back, I'll be with you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. You'll be my witnesses. Point A, the Holy Spirit will empower us to accomplish our mission. And we don't need to worry about not having the power to do it. The Holy Spirit will give us the power to do this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do this. And it's so much fun when people experience that for the first time. When they're really nervous because a friend will ask them, hey, you're a Christian, tell me what you believe. And they'll go, oh my goodness. And they'll be thinking their mouth goes dry and their hands start sweating. And then they'll say, well, I gave my heart to Christ. And they'll explain a few things that they know out of the Bible. And I love it because people will meet me or they'll send me emails and they'll go, it was amazing. It was like all of a sudden some of the things I hadn't thought of in a long time, it all came together and, and I knew exactly what to say. How do you think that's possible? And I tell them, well, it's the Holy Spirit giving you the right words, putting your thoughts together. And they go, that is so cool. And I go, I know, I count on it every day. <laughs> Because, man, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, what am I going to say? And he brings all kinds of memories to bear and the right words. And sometimes he even reminds me to say nothing at all. Well, my wife says that sometimes too. But anyway, but, but, the, but the point is he reminds me and guides me. He does that for all of us who love him. He'll coach us in this, empower us in this, so we can tell the whole world the good news. Do you know that we have friends, we have neighbors, we have co-workers and classmates, we have people all around us who are trapped in guilt and sin. They're struggling with bad habits. They've made up their mind a thousand times they're not going to do this anymore, but they don't have the Holy Spirit empowering them to get victory over this. There are people that are just so eaten up with guilt. They don't know what it's like to have God's forgiveness. There are people terrified about dying because they're not ready to die. They haven't made peace with God. They, they haven't secured a relationship with him, and they're afraid of death. For those of us who love the Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're not afraid of that. We look forward to his coming. We look forward if we die before that happens. And that's why this is such good news, and we dare not keep it to ourselves. I want to remind us also in point B, Jesus said everything will be ready. When everything's ready, I'll come get you. Well, part of everything being ready, he's going to go prepare a place for us. He's preparing a place for every single person who will ever believe. And Jesus will know when that is. He'll come back. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Peter was reflecting on this in 2 Peter 3. He said the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And we talked about that last week quite a bit. So what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Could we just say, go back one slide, please. Got there too quick for me. Okay, could we just say these highlighted words, those three words together, please? Hurrying it along. Well, how would I hurry it along? Well, if 
Jesus is waiting and preparing a place for everyone who's going to believe it. He's waiting until the last single person could come. Well, the way I'd hurry it along is by helping people know about Jesus. In fact, that verse in Matthew 24, 14, that will be preached throughout the whole world so all nations will hear it, that's the mission of the Wycliffe Bible Translating Organization, the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Went to their website this week, and on uh, their website it says their mission is this, to see a Bible translation program in process in every language that still needs one by the year 2025. That's six years from now. They are linking together computers all over the world, linguists, missionaries, all sorts of people. They are even doing audio versions of the Bible for dialects where there is no written alphabet or anything like this. They're putting it all together. And in six years, they hope to have a program working so that every single language on earth that doesn't have a Bible yet, it'll be in process. And their verse for it is at Matthew 24, 14. When the whole world knows Jesus will come back, they're doing what Peter said. They're hurrying it along. How about you and me? Are we hurrying the day of his coming? Oh, I'd love to see Jesus. How could I hurry that along? Well, maybe I can't translate the Bible into other languages, but I have coworkers and friends and neighbors. I don't know if they know Christ. What if I set a goal of like, hey, there's, it's March. I got nine months left in this year. What if I set a goal of that I'm going to meet five of my neighbors over the rest of this year that I don't know, that live on my street? I see that, see some of them all the time as this person lives here and I think that person's name is Joe or whatever. I don't know them. What if I spent time reaching out to them, just being a good neighbor and praying for them, praying for opportunities to talk to them and asking God to give me the right words? What if I could, or what if I prayed for just five people this year? A relative that I know I've never had a conversation with them about the Lord. What if I thought about this every day and said, God, how can I hurry your coming? I want to see you. I want to escape this world that's filled with so much pain and sorrow, but I want to take all my friends with me. Hmm. That'd be a life changer. And it's one of the ways we can be prepared for Jesus' second coming. Now, if you flip your outline over, Jesus himself told a shocking story that reminds us it's a terrible thing to waste our lives thinking only of ourselves. He said there was once a rich man, this is from Luke 16, he said there was once a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury, and at his gate there lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs had come and licked his open sores. And finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in some water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, Remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you're in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and 
No one can cross over to us from there. Well, then the rich man said, well, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want to want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, well, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And it's really clear in this story that um, we have one life to live. And how we live our lives matters greatly when it comes to our eternal destiny. Now I want to make a couple of observations from this story. And first of all, after death, the rich man and Lazarus retained their identities. They knew each other and they were aware of their circumstances. I mean, I want to throw in a couple of details from this story or point out a couple of details from this story because a lot of you emailed me or talked to me from our thing last week when we talked about the that the dead in Christ will rise and we'll meet them in the air. Well, where are they? Where are our souls? What's going on after we die? First of all, I want to remind us that sometimes people believe that um, we just lose consciousness, we cease to exist. Well, that's not the case here at all, and the, or that we have our memories wiped or something like that. Lazarus, the rich man, Abraham, they all knew. They still had their identities. They all knew exactly where they were. They knew what was going on. They were fully conscious. They weren't asleep. And so this, this is clear from this story. Secondly, our eternal destinies cannot be changed after death. We read Hebrews 9.27 a minute ago. Let me read it again. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Our eternal destinies are set. The decisions we make in this life have eternal consequences. That's why it's so important to come to Christ. I mean, that's the good news. He rescues us from the penalty of sin. And the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God in hell. Now it's important to note, at death, the body and the soul separate. I also want to make sure that people understand, when we die, our body and our souls separate. What gets in the casket, in the ground, is the body, not the soul. Jesus was clear on this. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a difference. C.S. Lewis said we've got to quit thinking of ourselves as bodies that have a soul. We need to think of ourselves as souls that wear a body. A body's like a suit, like a clothing. And that's why we talked last week about our new heavenly bodies are far superior. After death, it's also important to note that the souls of believers go to be with Jesus. In the case of Lazarus, he went to Abraham's side, which was a place for the righteous dead. Well, Jesus told the thief on the cross, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said, we'd rather prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is the way he talked. When I die, when my body goes in the ground, my soul will go to be with the Lord Jesus because he's paid the penalty for my sins. He's adopted me into his family. I'm his. But after death, the other note here is that after death, the souls of unbelievers go to a place of torment. That's where we found this wicked rich man in a place of agony and torment, awaiting judgment. 
in the Bible that's called Hades, the abode of the dead. New Testament, it's Hades. In the Old Testament, it's Sheol. Now, later in the book of Revelation, it says that the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. If our sins have not been atoned for by Jesus, if he has not paid that penalty, he is not our Savior, then, then on that judgment day, those people who've been in torment in Hades, that Hades itself, along with all those who've been judged, will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. But it's important that we understand that after we die, our eternal destiny is set. Now, the rich man in the story, he knew that, and that's point three here. The rich man became intensely interested in evangelism after he died, but it was too late. Remember, he said, I've got five brothers. It's too late for me. Abraham, send Lazarus back. At least he can warn my brothers so they don't come to this terrible place. But it was too late. One of the reasons this story is in the Bible is is that those of us who are reading it, anybody who can read this, it's not too late for us today. It's not too late for you and me to come to Christ. It's not too late for us today to warn other people about these things and to tell them the good news about Jesus. In fact, that's the last point in the outline here. I want to give us three ways that we can prep for the second coming. First of all, I just want to say in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses gives us some wise counsel here. Sometimes when we're going through um, details or, or stories and accounts of the second coming, people say, well, I don't have enough information. I'd like to know more. And when I show you the scriptures, as you stay with us the next couple of weeks, I'll show you as many scriptures as I can to deal with this. But Moses himself said, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one, and we're not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so we may obey all the terms of these instructions. The great news is that you and I aren't responsible for understanding everything that's going to happen in the future. We're responsible for understanding what the Lord has told us and then obeying the instructions he's given us. And that's why I want to give us three ways we can prep for the second coming with that in mind. These are things that are clear. First of all, we can surrender our lives to Christ as Savior and Lord. That story of the rich man and Lazarus, man, that's disturbing. And last week, I talked with several people after I talked about Jesus' second coming. They said, hey, I left there disturbed. I don't know if I'm ready to meet Jesus. I said, oh, we can fix that right now. And we went through what it meant to surrender their heart to Christ. And, we, and I got to pray with them. Y'all, if you are not clear whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus, or even as I've been talking about this morning, this this morning, your heart has been beating out of your chest going, I need to talk to someone about that. Do not delay. You talk with us today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right after Paul had just talked about the second coming, he said this, Now, you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, 
and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. And Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Paul told them, he said, you don't have to worry about Jesus' second coming. I mean, when you have a right relationship with him, that's the greatest thing ever. And whether you're alive or dead, it doesn't matter. We'll meet the Lord in the air. So today, when we talk about this, if you're not sure that you have ever made a commitment to Christ, well, talk to us. Talk to a friend. Come see us, though. We would love to talk to you about Jesus. My email's down at the bottom of the page there. You can email me, and we will set up an appointment to do it. Anybody on our staff will tell you we have nothing we'd rather do than talk about Jesus. Secondly, we can live godly lives in front of our unbelieving friends and neighbors, and we can tell them about Jesus. I mean, the one thing that the rich man couldn't do was go back and see his brothers. That was the biggest thing on his heart. Right after he said, can I just have a a drop of water on my tongue? I'm in so much agony. It's like, can you please go warn my brothers? But he couldn't. Well, you and I aren't guaranteed of 100 years, but we're still alive today. And what if we started praying today? And what if we made a plan to say, hey, I have people in my family I care about. I want to make sure I have a spiritual conversation with them. A couple of years ago, I did a funeral for a woman who died in her late 50s, or I guess early 60s maybe. Her sister was there. It was a couple of years younger. And we talked, and her sister was grieving, and we prayed together. And she said, you have to speak some words of comfort to me. And I said, okay. And we talked through grief and stuff. She goes, no, i got to tell you something. I've been a Christian for a couple of decades. And obviously I've known my sister my whole life, but I never once talked to her about Jesus I always thought there'd be more time. Do you have any words of comfort for me? I said, well, first of all, the Lord is the judge of all men's souls, and you don't know that other people didn't talk to your sister. But I also want to remind you that you can learn from this because there are other people in your life besides your sister. Who else do you know that you'd love to talk to to make sure they know about Jesus? Write their names down. Start praying for them. And do it today. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. When he comes back. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way and keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This is why it's so important to live out our faith in front of our unbelieving friends and neighbors. I mean, even when we blow it, to apologize. Wow. Why would you apologize? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Hmm. Let them see that we're real people. I love it that um, a woman who's involved in our church here, Angie Davis, a few uh, weeks ago, she went hiking on a Sunday afternoon. She got uh, into a hiking group up at Oak Mountain State Park in Birmingham. She was signed up online. She didn't know anybody else who'd be there. It turns out there were 15 other hikers that were hiking that day. And so she spent the afternoon with them. And when they started hiking, she was all excited about what we'd talked about here on Sunday morning. And, and she relayed to my wife's connect group. She's in uh, Debbie's Connect group, 
and she uh, relayed to them that she started talking about it with people, and she goes, oh, I love my church, and I love the lesson today. It was so exciting, and she went all this, and people were going, you go to church? You like going to church? And she found out none of the other 15 people went to church. And she's going, oh, well, then you need to hear what we talked about today. And so that's what she talked about while they were hiking. In fact, when they finished the hike, they all went and grabbed a bite to eat uh, later on, and one of the people she sat next to, she ended up praying for. And when she shared that with my wife and with the other women in her group, they were all greatly encouraged. Because Angie was just being Angie. I mean, if you know her, Angie's Angie. And she's Angie on a hike, or she's Angie sitting down at a restaurant, or she's Angie coming to church. She's just going to be who she is, and she loved talking about the Lord. The Lord's been good to her and done great things in her life and shown her many things, and she loves to share it. What if you and I were just ready with an answer? Hey, you seem like you're in a good mood today, and you're in a good mood because you read something great in the Scripture that morning. Well, what would be the right answer? Well, I'm in a good mood today because I read something great in the Scripture, in, the, in my Scripture this morning. Can I tell you about it? I mean, what a great answer. What if you and I lived out our faith? And prayed for opportunities to do that so that we could tell our friends and neighbors about Jesus. God has us planted in all kinds of places, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. So we can surrender our lives to Christ. We can live out our faith and explain it in front of our unbelieving neighbors. And thirdly, you and I can meet regularly and encourage and motivate each other. Hebrews 10. Let's think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good deeds. Let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I mean, if Jesus is coming back soon, then it would make sense for me to get together with other believers regularly so I could be encouraged. That's the idea behind a connect group, behind worship. I don't know if you know this, but the average uh, evangelical Christian in America attends worship 1.7 times a month, whether we need it or not. 1.7. We have so many other things going on. But if Jesus is coming soon, what if we could double that? What if we get involved with a small group and we even have a chance to meet with someone one-on-one -on -one and pray so we can encourage each other? I told you how much it meant to the other women in Debbie's group when Angie shared with them. Well, she's going to be encouraged probably next week by what somebody else shares with her. That's the idea of church. Paul kind of gave a laundry list at the end of that letter to the Thessalonians. This is uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what's good. Stay away from every kind of evil. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. I mean, he gave this laundry list because he understood they'd be meeting together. Hey, remind each other of this. Be thankful in all circumstances. Keep praying. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies. Check things out. I mean, the idea here, you got Christians encouraging each other because Jesus is coming soon. We have a mission to accomplish, and, it's, and we can hurry it along. We only have a limited number of years 
And we want to make the most of them. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And what was so interesting was, after our first service here this morning, I was standing out on the sidewalk um, greeting people as they left. And three different people came up to me. I had three different conversations. Because I, I felt like I would like to know how to have a better closing prayer than I did at our 8 o'clock service. I just felt like, hmm, need a little how can, So I just asked them, how can I pray for you regarding that message? The first person said, I need boldness. I'm just a coward. I need some courage. So I just prayed for backbone, for spine. And when you have the opportunity, you'd say something. Okay. Another person, how can I pray for you? Mm. I need the right words. I get all tongue-tied. Sometimes I know what's in my head, but that's not what comes out of my mouth. I need the words. So we prayed for the right words. The third person, they said, I work with a bunch of very intelligent people. And every time I bring up faith issues, they make me feel stupid. And so I don't want to ever talk about things because I don't like feeling stupid. <laughs> and I feel like I'm going to embarrass Jesus because I'm not going to know enough. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray that God's going to um, help you get past the idea that you have to win. And there was a lady and she went, what? And I go, oh, this is the greatest thing about sharing my faith that I learned in ministry. I don't have to win. I just have to be a witness. I just have to tell people what the Bible says. Maybe you, don't, maybe you haven't realized it, but I pray every week that God will speak and move me out of the way. There are sometimes people leave here and they have no interest in what I'm saying at all. And I know that because they'll talk to me a couple years later and they said, I visited your church and I thought you were the biggest idiot that ever walked. That's the way they'll start the conversation. And it's like, oh, nice to meet you too. Anyway, um, you know, <laughs> wow, this is awkward. Where is this going? And they go, but I cannot tell you, it's probably happened five different times in my life where people have said, and it might be two years later, three years later. One time it was 10 years later, a person came up to me and said, they didn't, except what I was saying at all when I was telling them about something, either in a personal conversation or in a message like this. But years later, they said, they came to see me and they said, what you told me has been rattling around in my brain ever since. And then they would be in a circumstance or they'd be in a situation where that scripture would come to bear in their life and they would go, oh God. I don't have to win. I just have to be faithful. By the way, I'm not doing this to make John Schmidt look good. I'm doing this to make Jesus look good. If you're sharing your faith, and the only way you're going to share your faith is if you get to be a debate champion. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit will empower you, and you will be my debate champions to win trophies all over the world. That's not what he said. He'll empower you to be my witnesses. And many of those witnesses were beheaded. Many of those witnesses were beaten mocked and spit upon, but the words they shared later rang true. Do not be afraid to share because you're afraid of losing. You might lose regularly. Welcome to somebody who loses regularly right here. But God is faithful, and those are the last words. Paul have the last, last words. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Man, this is good news. Yeah. 
We're going to pray for opportunities right now. We're going to pray for boldness. We're going to pray for the right words. And we're going to pray that we'll get over ourselves and we don't have to win. Can we pray for those four things? Oh, Jesus, you are coming back. And, Lord, we need to get together often to prep for this and remind each other of these things. 